message. And so last week, we uh, did an introduction into this series called Spiritual Formation. If you missed that, we do post our messages online on our website. Uh, or if you listen on Spotify or Apple Music, you can go to the podcast and you can look up Transformation Church Thunder Bay. Uh, and I don't always promote that, but last week was an introduction to this. And if you missed that, I would encourage you to check that out because uh, we're going to spend the next few months walking through the 12 spiritual disciplines. And uh, the reason for that, and so here, uh, I shared this last week, but this is kind of our overarching verse uh, that is, it gives us the focus for why we're, we're jumping into this series. And so not specifically talking about meditation right now, but just the, the whole uh, topic of spiritual formation. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm just going to pray and then we'll, we'll jump in. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that your word is a reality for us today. That what is in your word is truth and it leads us to truth and through your word, we experience you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to understand what you're talking about in the scriptures when you talk about living for you, when you talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, when you talk about lives changed and lives transformed. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand what that means in 2024 in Thunder Bay, Ontario, or wherever people are tuning in from, that we would have an understanding of what it actually means to be filled with you, to, to have Jesus living in and through our lives as we interact with family members, as we interact with our, our children and our busy lives and our jobs and, and commitments and all the things going on, that we would have an understanding of what it means to be filled with you and to follow you wholeheartedly, Lord. And so uh, as we jump into this, Lord, I pray that we'd hear your voice and that we would follow your lead in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. So that verse one more time, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So when the Apostle Paul wrote that, the, one of the main points that uh, I made last week was that when Paul wrote this, he wasn't dead. Like, he was not with Jesus in heaven saying, it's no longer me who lives, it's Jesus living through me. He wrote that as somebody who was alive in real time. And so what that means is that for those of us that, like, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, what the scriptures teach is that once you've surrendered to him, once you've encountered God, his Holy Spirit actually comes to live on the inside of you. You and I are the temple of God. You know, one of the reasons that people talk often about how the building that we worship in isn't as important as the people who gather there is because the scriptures say that you and I, we are the temple of the living God. Like God actually makes his home inside of us. And so what Paul was saying was he was saying, and he was, he was talking as somebody who was actually living a life and, and faced with responsibilities and challenges. And he was saying, I don't live anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. And so as we jump into this, this series of spiritual formation, that's, that's kind of what we're, we're wrestling with as we're saying, well, what would it look like for, for it to not be me anymore, but Jesus living in me? For it not to be Elizabeth or Janine or Carrie or Tim, but for Jesus to be living through us, right? Like that's what Paul is really 
getting at. And it sounds like this like high and lofty idealistic idea, but it's actually true. Jesus, when he makes his home inside of us, if we yield and surrender to him, he begins to change us. And, and also, as we, as we jump into this series, one of the things I differentiated last week was that there's a difference between salvation and sanctification, okay? So if you're sitting here and you're going, well, this series sounds like it's going to be a lot of pressure on me to do all these things, I want you to know right from the get-go that we're not saying you have to earn your way with God, okay? You can't. You, like, you and I cannot earn like, a place with God because of the good things that we do. So salvation is something that God accomplishes through Jesus on the cross, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. When we put our faith in him, he makes all the change, <laughs> like as far as our relationship with God. He, he saves us. He, he, he brings us into relationship with God. But then after that experience, there's this, there's this word sanctification, and that's, that's the same thing as spiritual formation. It's this process of you and I becoming like Jesus. And there's actually a part that you and I get to play in that sanctification process. There's this partnership. God actually looks for, for us to, to put, us, put ourselves in the place where we say, okay, God, I'm going to bring myself before you, and I'm going to put some practices, some habits into place in my life, and then let you do the work. And that's what we're getting into with these disciplines. We're going to look at 12 disciplines over the next 12 weeks. And these are actually practices that we can do in our lives. And it's not that we, we don't do these things to earn God's love. We do these things because God actually loves us and has revealed that love. We do it because we desire a relationship with him. And in doing these things, he begins to sanctify us. He begins to make us more like Jesus. And, and the end result, that, that prayer that we read in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul, Paul wasn't putting that, that, that in the scriptures to say, look at me. I'm just like this elite Christian. I'm, I'm above the rest of you, you know, lower people down there. Like, I'm, I, it's no longer me who lives, it's Christ. He put that in there because that's actually possible for all who are followers of Jesus. Where we can get to the point in our lives where we say, it's not me who lives anymore. It's actually Jesus in me. We, we can actually get to the point where we would normally respond to a situation with anger and rage and, and compassion and kindness and forgiveness comes out. Or maybe we get to a situation where we would usually just kind of roll over and give up, and all of a sudden there's this, there's this uh, strength in us that we didn't know was possible. And like Paul, we're going to be able to say, it's no longer me living, it's Jesus in me. Like, that's, that's actually a reality. And so uh, I, I want to read a, a couple verses from the message uh, translation of, of the Bible, which uh, whenever I read the message... Uh, I always look at it as a, as a commentary. It kind of breaks down the meaning of the scriptures. But I just want you to listen to these words. These are, these are words of Jesus. And I want you to listen to these words and just, uh, just answer the question, does this speak to your heart in, in a way? So in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus says this. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you... And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So as we jump into these, these disciplines, just hear the invitation of Jesus where he's saying, like, are, you, are you tired? Are you worn out on religion? 
You know, the people that Jesus spoke to 2,000 years ago when he walked around on planet Earth, they were super religious. They had Bibles. Many of them had studied the Bible their whole lives. They had gone to temple. They had gone to these worship services. They learned about all the rules, all the regulations, all the things they had to follow. And they were burnt out on religion. And Jesus has this invitation. He's saying, I'm not inviting you into a religious lifestyle where I'm going to put pressures and burdens on you. I'm inviting you into a relationship where you're going to experience the love of God in such a transforming way that you're going to experience peace. And, and that's the invitation. Jesus is inviting us into this place of experiencing his peace. And so these, these disciplines we're going to look at, they're not, the word discipline, uh, especially if you've been disciplined, like so when I grew up, and I'm not advocating this for, for uh, your parenting style, but like the belt and getting the wooden spoon was kind of a common thing. Anybody else relate with that? Okay. I used to hide my mom's wooden spoon. <laughs> and I remember hiding her wooden spoon one time, and, and then I was super convicted, and I was like, oh, God wouldn't like this. And so then I had to go pull the wooden spoon out of where I'd hidden it. And then I, and then I, I felt the wooden spoon <laughs> after that. Um, but the word that was often used in our home was like, was discipline. So like if, when I would do something bad, which was a lot, um, I got a lot of disciplines, okay, growing up. Like I'm, I'm a pretty hyper personality, and, and I don't always think before I do things. And so I got disciplined a lot, okay? And so I've had to work through this word discipline because I, I have this like bad view of the word, um, but we're, we're looking at the word from a different perspective. The word discipline is, is putting a practice in your life that's actually good and helpful and fruitful and is going to lead to good things. Dis- discipline can be a good thing. It doesn't always mean a wooden spoon. Uh, so just, just, just so you know that. Um, and practicing, I was going to put that slide up, Megan. So the, the disciplines that, that we're going to look at, there's 12 of them. Meditation, prayer, fasting, study, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. And, and the reason that it's exciting to dive into this together is because if you, like me, have been to church and heard people talk about how important it is to have a relationship with Jesus, you probably nod and go, yeah, I know that's important. But then you ask the question, you're like, well, what does that actually, what does it look like to have a relationship with Jesus, right? Because most of us in this room probably haven't seen Jesus in physical form, okay? Or heard his audible voice, right? But a lot of us have probably experienced him in some way. But, to, but if you ask like, the question, like, well, what does it look like to have a relationship with him? Most of us would probably go like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible and I'm supposed to pray. But sometimes God just feels out there. He feels kind of far away, okay? And these, these disciplines, okay, in the best sense of the word, what they are, they're, they're 12 practical things that we can do to spend time with God. And, and here's the beauty of sanctification, spiritual formation, is what we're doing when we, when we practice these disciplines, we're, we're willfully putting ourselves into a place where we're spending time with God and we're, we're, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. And so when you look at your life, you go, maybe, maybe you look and you go, I've got anger that I don't know how to deal with. Or I've got depression or anxiety or frustration or I'm bad with money or I've got this addiction problem, whatever it is. And, and, and for most of us in this room, there's probably things that we would say, yeah, I've got all these things in my life that are a struggle, and it makes us kind of feel distant from God, and, and we feel powerless to overcome those struggles. What these disciplines are is they're ways of just engaging with God, 
and we're putting ourselves in a place where we're saying, God, I am just going to sur- like surrender to you. I'm going to yield myself to you. And then we're inviting him to do the impossible work of changing our hearts. And so these disciplines, it's not, we're not saying we're going to like use our willpower to overcome some difficulty in our life we haven't been able to overcome. We're just saying, God, I'm just going to choose to spend time with you, to put myself in a place where I can, I can hear from you, I can be in your presence, and then I'm just going to trust you to do what I can't do in my own heart. And so maybe you're thinking of some of the struggles in your life and you feel far and distant from God. The disciplines are for all of us. It's not for spiritual elites. It's just practical ways we can communicate and engage with God. And think about it this way. Uh, my, I love my kids, all, all of them. They're very special to me. Uh, and I, I don't know about you, but like going to get gas, it's not something that's super exciting, right? Like, uh, and for me, I, I always go out to the reserve, and so it's like uh, a little bit of a drive. But I learned that Esther, my oldest, and I asked her for permission. By the way, where's Alyssa? I, I asked Esther for permission, so I'm not going to owe her $5 for this, <laughs> to share this. Uh, I, if I mention my children in a sermon and I haven't asked for permission, I have to give them $5 for the, <clears throat> for the embarrassment that that caused. So I have to ask for permission. So, uh, I, so Esther loves going for drives and, and listening to music, getting at Tim Hortons. And so I learned that. And so whenever I'm going to get gas, I always make sure that it's, it's a time where I could bring Esther with me. And it's become this really special time. I actually look forward to getting gas now because I get to go and hang out with my teen daughter and, and that's just a way that I've figured out that we can spend time together, right? So it's become this really special time. I love going to get gas. And especially because out at, the, at K&A, they have for $1, you can get a little paper bag with like gummies in it. And it's enough that Esther and I open it up and like on the way home, we eat our gummies and we drink our coffee and it's just a beautiful time, right? But it's time together. And, I lo- and I, because I love her, we spend that time together. And the disciplines are similar. It's like when you get into this, this place where you, you start to fall in love with God and who he is, you actually start looking for ways to spend time with him. And, and that's, that's the heart behind why we do what we do. And so today we're looking specifically at meditation, and I'm hoping to get really practical with meditation, but meditation is a Christian practice. So maybe when you've heard of meditation, you've thought of like some sort of Eastern uh, mysticism or, or you think of like, you know, you get into this like trance-like state where you have to detach from everything or, or whatever. I just want you to know uh, meditation is a very Christian uh, practice or discipline. You know, some, sometimes we think about meditation as emptying our minds. You know, maybe, that, maybe that's kind of what you've picked up when you've watched movies or heard about it or saw people with the hmm thing, right? Um, but in, in Christianity, meditation isn't about emptying your minds as much as it's about filling your mind with the things of God. And, and the scripture talks a lot about meditation. There's tons of it throughout the Old Testament, but I want to look at a, a New Testament passage, and I sent this passage out in the email this week. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And this gives us an idea, a starting point for what it would look like to meditate. So Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 8, Paul says this. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. So this is near the end of his letter, and, and he wants to make sure that he's leaving, his, he's leaving his congregation with something practical that they can do. One final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. 
Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. That's beautiful. We're going we're gonna to end today with, and, and that's kind of a hint at what's coming, we're going to end today with a practical exercise. Sorry for my really embarrassing five-year-old writing, but uh, we're going to end with a, an actual practice of, of doing this together. And, and what I'm hoping is that each week, we'll walk away with an idea of what it looks like to put this into practice in real life. And so don't, don't be overwhelmed. Maybe, maybe at the end of this series, you've become really familiar with one of these disciplines and you've started to put it into practice. That would be a win for me. So if you're the type of person that you come and you're like, I don't know, I can't, like all 12 of these disciplines, learning about them and doing them seems overwhelming. Maybe, maybe you'll actually start to do one. And, and if that's the case, praise God. Because it's a, it's a way that you can intentionally spend time with him. So uh, we'll, we'll come back to that. But I just want you to keep that passage in mind and as far as what it looks like to meditate. The, the dictionary definition of meditation is continued or extended thought, reflection, contemplation. And here's a, a Christian definition of it. Meditation is a long, ardent gaze at God his work, and his word, slowing down and giving one's undivided attention to God lies at the core of Christian meditation. So here's what I want to suggest to you. You meditate all the time. Whether you realize it or not, you are constantly in a state of meditation. And I just want you to to, to think about this, okay? So have you ever had a conversation with somebody that was a really tense conversation. You didn't agree, they offended you, you offended them, whatever. And then have you rehearsed that conversation over and over in your mind? Anybody? Ever done that where you've rehearsed it? How, how many of you like, have rehearsed those conversations and you come away feeling like you're just this boss because like, you told them what was up, right? You ever done that? Where, and then you realize like, you never said it out loud, right? I've, I've, actually listened, I've actually picked this up when people tell me their stories. So people will tell me stories of tense conversations they've had, and they'll say things that they didn't actually say to the person. Because they'll tell, like, when they're rehearsing it, they're like, yeah, and then, and then I said this, and I realized they only thought that. They didn't actually say it, <laughs> right? You ever done that, where you've, like, rehearsed a conversation so much in your head where you've, you've like, you, you came up with all the rebuttals, and you, you put them in their place, but none of it ever actually happened out loud, Right? Or have you ever just caught yourself just rehearsing like a, a, a movie scene that, that really impacted you and you're just thinking about it and you're turning it over in your mind or you're thinking about a way that you could do that in your life or it's a song or whatever. Like you and I meditate all the time. We've got stuff going on in our head on a regular basis all the time that we're meditating and chewing on. A lot of it is negative. Would, would we agree? Like there's a lot of things that we rehearse, that we think about, that we ponder, that we chew on, and a lot of it is really negative. And especially, and I just want to drill down for a second because I want to read Jesus' words that are pretty convicting, but a lot of it's negative in terms of some of the things that we would like to say to the people that just get under our skin. Like how many of you, you don't have to put your hands up for this, right? But how many of you have a, a boss that you just wish you could say certain things to, but you just, you'd probably lose your job so you don't say it? right? But you probably have mental note of all the things you'll say on the day you quit, right? <laughs> like, anybody, like, you're like, 
that that person just gets under, or maybe it's a coworker that you're like, you just know you can't say it out loud, but you've rehearsed. You've got all this stuff in your head that you're like, oh, if I could just say it, right? And, and we, for whatever reason, there's certain circumstances that hold us back from saying some of the things that we wish we could say. But we've rehearsed it. We've meditated on it. We've chewed on it. We've let it become a part of even how we think and how we, how we process. Now listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. And Jesus just has a way of, of saying things that get right to the heart of people. And it's really convicting. And, and I, think, I think I put it on the screen uh, yeah, I did. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. Just listen to his words. He says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is, is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect. Nice instructions from Jesus, right? <laughs> Not you. You're to be perfect. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect. When you meditate on words like this from Jesus it actually changes the way that you perceive the situations that frustrate you or get under your skin. For real. What's that? You're better off to have those conversations with God. Yes. If those conversations with God change things. But I want you to just think about some of the things that you've, you've chewed on, that you've meditated about people or the, like wanting to give in to frustration, wanting to give in to anger. When, when, you, when you do that, it produces certain kinds of feelings. It produces certain kinds of ways of perceiving the world, ways of perceiving people. Paul, in what we read in Philippians, he was saying, if you think on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, admirable, excellent, worthy of praise, he ends that section by saying it leads to peace. And so when you think about the words of Jesus here about how to treat those people that are mistreating you, it's really convicting, but it actually changes the way that you meditate and process certain situations and certain interactions that you've had with people. And, and it, leads to, it leads to peace. It leads to life change. This quote by Leslie Newbegin, I've put this up before and I'll put it up again. I think it's one of the most profound things I've ever read. He says, Leslie Newbegin was a, a missionary for, for many years and then he did a lot of writing uh, about what it means to follow Jesus. He says, if the biblical story is not the one that really controls our thinking, then inevitably we shall be swept into the story the world tells about itself. That's a really convicting statement. He's saying, if the biblical story, like if the, if the words of Jesus, if the story of Scripture is not the story that is like the background music of your, your mind and your life, then what's going to happen is you're going to be swept into the story the world tells about itself. You'll be swept into this idea that, like, you know, you really should look for the day when you can, you can say your piece and get your way and prove your point and, and feel justified and where you can put somebody else down or whatever it is. The biblical story is different. The biblical story doesn't, by the way, I'm not advocating that it leads us to being doormats and just taking things from people that we shouldn't. But it actually shows us what it looks like to stand up and be strong, to be firm, to be confident, to be able to look people in the eye. It, it shows us how to deal with conflict in a way that honors God. 
but it also shows us how to keep our hearts soft towards people that usually get under our skin and anger us and irritate us to, to no end. And it actually, what, what it's getting at, this, this discipline of meditation, what it's getting at is it's, it's showing us how we can be people that walk in peace in the midst of the darkest and most difficult situations that we face in life. Like, that's what meditation is, is really getting at. When you meditate on the words of Jesus, on the words of Scripture, it reveals what it looks like to honor God in the midst of some of the most difficult situations. And so I want you to think uh, for a second about the things that you meditate on on a regular basis. Maybe, it's, maybe it has to do with money. You know that the, uh, the lottery that just happened, the hospital 50-50 draw, um, somebody won $3 million here in, in Thunder Bay. That's the biggest 50-50 in all of Canada, okay? It's a huge 50-50. But how many of us are tempted to just, like, I've done this. You think about what it would be like to win that amount of money, and you just ponder all the things that you could do. Anybody ever, you don't have to raise your hands. Maybe that's, but anyone else ever done that where you're like, man, if I had $3 million, like, well, I would tithe, right? <laughs> Maybe you justify it in some way where you're like, well, I'll honor God with it, right? Of course, like, I'll, I'll give to, to Grace Place or I'll, whatever, right? Like, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of justify it. But then we just dream about all these, like, things that could happen and we, we, we chew on it. I remember when one of my first jobs, uh, I was in high school and I worked at the co-op building. It was a seven-floor office building in Moncton. And I was the, one of the janitors there, but I'd work night shifts because I was in school, and so I'd clean the offices and stuff. And, and so I was, like, in high school, and it was a pretty good job to have. And I remember vacuuming, and it would, I'd be, like, four hours, like, doing my shift. And I, by the end of the four hours, I had, like, my next three years planned out of what I was going to do with all the money that I'd saved in those three years, right? Like, buying a ring for Vicky and the house we were going to get, all the stuff, the car that I wanted. Like, I would just... I was meditating. Anybody ever done that? Where you're just like lost in thought and you're meditating on what you might do with, with money. You ever meditate on regret? You ever think about all the things that you've done that you're so upset that you did that you, you, you grieve it and you just chew on it. You rehearse it. You think about it. You, you fill your mind and your heart with regret or disappointment. Maybe you think about the state of the world and, and you're just constantly upset and disappointed at the state of the world and the things that are going on in the, in the Middle East here in our country, and you just rehearse it, and you think about it all the time, you meditate. I want to give a, an example of meditation that is a famous example, and then we're going to do a practical um, exercise to, to close. But I want to, uh, I want, the reason I want to use this example is because I want to show you the power of meditation for people that are going through absolute darkness. A lot of you might be familiar with the name Viktor Frankl. He's a Holocaust survivor, and he wrote an incredible book called Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor, Viktor Frankl was not a, a Jesus follower. He was a Jewish man, and he, uh, in his book, he talks about his Jewish faith, but he really goes into detail about his experience in Auschwitz and Dachau, these concentration camps in uh, Germany, and it, it is really difficult to read. The, the things that he faced, it's unimaginable. He, he describes the living conditions of, of him and the, the bunk that he was in where they had these really small spaces where four men would have to sleep in these beds, and they would have to sleep like laying on their shoulder, like shoulder to shoulder to shoulder, because there was literally no room to move. And, and he describes those conditions and how he was actually able to get 
a full night's sleep because of the absolute exhaustion mentally and physically of, of the uh, extreme conditions of what they had to do in those death camps. Like, just gruesome stuff. And, and, and one of the phrases that he, he uh, kind of popularizes in the book that probably the outside world didn't know of was in the camps, they had this term called running into the wire. And so the, the uh, concentration camps were surrounded by these great big electric fences, enough to kill someone. And running into the wire was when somebody just got to the point where they gave in to despair, and they would run into the wire, and their life was just over immediately in that moment. Like, just absolutely gruesome and dark. And, and Viktor Frankl, he's a, a psychotherapist, and he, it was a gift to the world because he describes his experiences, but he went into detail and he described his interior world while he was going through this intense suffering. And, and, and it's a, a picture of the power of meditation. I'm just going to read uh, some of his, his words, and this is in the book, Man's Search for Meaning, and I would highly recommend that even as an audio book. It's really quite something. But listen to, listen to how he describes the interior world during these really dark conditions he was living in. A thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth as it is set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers, the truth that love is the ultimate and the highest goal to which man can aspire. Then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love. Now, listen, these words sound, you know, kind of high and lofty and great, but you have to remember, he is living through one of the most intense periods of, of suffering and persecution that anybody has ever experienced. And, and this is what's co- coming out of him from that experience. The salvation of man is through love and in love. I understood how a man who has nothing left in this world still may know bliss, be it only for a brief moment, in the contemplation of his beloved, in a position of utter desolation, when man cannot express himself in positive action, when his only achievement may consist in enduring his sufferings in the right way, an honorable way, in such a position man can, through loving contemplation of the image he carries of his beloved, achieve fulfillment." For the first time in my life, I was able to understand the meaning of the words, the angels are lost in perpetual contemplation of an infinite glory. Now, I'm going to read uh, another really short part, but he wrote this. So he, he's, he, he vacillates back and forth. He describes his interior thoughts, and then he describes the intense suffering and how he was being treated by these guards. And the stuff that he had to live through is absolutely unthinkable and unimaginable. And the way that some of these, these men and women died is just gruesome beyond what we can understand. So he's describing that, and then he was describing, in this section here, and I'm, I'm going to finish it with these last couple sentences, what he would do is he was, he was living through this intense uh, suffering, but he would imagine his wife. And so he didn't know where his wife was because they were separated. She was sent to a different death camp. And he would enter into this world where he would think about his beloved, as he called her in what I just read. And what he would do is he would imagine himself coming home and going through the front door and his wife greeting him and and they would have a conversation and then they would walk to the back where the the dining room was and they would sit and have a meal and he would have these elaborate 
conversations with his wife, and he would think about what that night would look like. And meanwhile, he's marching from place to place, and he's being beaten by the, the butt of a gun, and he's, he's sleeping in unthinkable conditions, and it's just crazy. And he would go back and forth between the suffering and this imagining with his wife. Now, this is, it gets, it's sad, but it's, it's hopeful in a sense. He didn't know at the time that his wife was dead, but he knew that it was a really strong possibility. Listen to how he, he finishes this. He says, had I known then that my wife was dead, so he learned that, that she had died in a death camp, had I known then that my wife was dead, I think that I would still have given myself undisturbed by that knowledge to the contemplation of her image, and that my mental conversation with her would have been just as vivid and just as satisfying. And then he quotes scripture from Song of Solomon. He says, set me like a seal upon thy heart. Love is as strong as death. And so what's powerful about this is that he acknowledges, so his wife, he gets out of the prison camp and realizes his wife has died, which was just a big blow. But he says something in here that's really profound and has to do with you and I in how we meditate. He says, if he'd have known even then that his wife was dead, he would have still engaged with that meditation because that's what got him through, just imagining his wife and her response and their conversation and their interactions with each other. The, the reason this, I wanted to read this is because there's even more hope for those of us, if you're, you're a follower of Jesus, because Jesus defeated death. So when we, when we meditate, when we think on God and we remember what He's done for us and we, we, we meditate on His Word or we just think about the cross, what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, the hope that we have is an eternal hope because Jesus rose from the dead he defeated death, and he has invited us into relationship with himself, and he says, all who believe in me will live forever with God. So Viktor Frankl, it was like he was part of the way there. The reason God gave us marriage is it, is it actually points us to relationship with him. It's like this, a greater marriage that is to come, right? And so Viktor Frankl realized, to him, the highest, the most profound relationship he'd experienced was the relationship with his wife, his love, his beloved. And, and, and he says, even if she had died, that, that would have still helped him through. But as a follower of Jesus, who's got Jesus living on the inside of us, there's even more of a motivation to just fill our mind and our thoughts with God because he has overcome death. Viktor Frankl, I, 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 I would say probably nobody in this room has experienced quite what Viktor Frankl experienced. You know, a lot of us have experienced suffering. A lot of us have experienced some horrendous and horrible things. Viktor Frankl writes of things that are just, some of it's almost unimaginable. But, the, but the, what got him through was thinking about his beloved. And what I want to put forward to us today is like, once you, once you realize who Jesus is and what he's done for you, he, he's our beloved. We're his beloved. And so allowing, like thinking about that relationship, thinking about what it means to know him and to be filled with him, like it gives us hope to get through everything. Whatever it is you're facing, if it's the most darkest, difficult circumstance, filling your mind with the truth of God will empower you to live for him in a way that is just mind-blowing. If, if this relationship with, with him is established, like the, you've, you've got to have a relationship with him in order for this to be, uh, to be effective. So here's what I'll do. I want to, pra- I want to practice uh, a meditation, and then we're going to, um, we'll, we'll close with a couple, couple songs. But I want to put this, this slide up. I want to encourage you this week to actually spend time, even if you do it just once, but I would encourage you to do it every day for a week, 
take 10 or 15 minutes and slow down, choose a time and a place, fix your thoughts on what is true, and like uh, sit comfortably. Become aware of your breathing, your blood flow, your surroundings, turn your attention to God. And, and here's what I want to encourage you to do um, as you enter into this, this meditation this week. So, so do it a few times. Um, but this is a really simple, there's lots of ways to enter into meditation, right? Um, but can we, just, can we just close our eyes together? I'm going to pray. And if you're willing, um, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and just put your palms, uh, your hands on your knees with your palms facing down. And I'm just going to pray a prayer that'll just kind of give you an indication of, of, of how to pray a prayer like this. But face your palms down. And then when you, when you are going to enter into a meditation, a time with God where you intentionally think about Him with your palms facing down, your eyes closed so that you're blocking uh, out distraction, just say, Lord, I'm releasing, I'm letting go of, of distraction, I'm letting go of the voice of the enemy, I'm letting go of discouragement, I'm letting go of anger and bitterness and resentment and contempt and jealousy and envy and pride, I'm releasing that with my palms facing down, I'm just, I'm releasing it and I'm asking you to take it out of my body. And then flip your palms up, keep your eyes closed, just put your palms up and, and have them sitting on your knees and just say, Lord, I want to receive from you grace and mercy and truth. I want the story of the scriptures that you've revealed to become the story of my life and I want to receive whatever is from you. I'm open to you, I surrender to you and I welcome your peace and your presence in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's a, it's a really simple exercise, palms down, palms up. Palms down is representative of, Lord, I'm just, I'm, I'm releasing everything that is not from you. Make sure this guy's okay. It's all right. I think he's all right. He's all right? <laughs> Crying is a good sign. <laughs> um, Caleb, you want to just come up? I'm just going to do, we're going to um, end with this little exercise. You can just help me wheel this over. Okay. So we're going to, um, this is how we're going to end with just something really practical. So as you practice this this week, uh, I encourage you to, when you engage with the Lord in this time of meditation, palms down, palms up, just pray. Just release whatever you know is, is not from God, whatever's a hindrance. Receive whatever is from Him, whatever is good, uh, true, honorable. And, and here's just a really simple way to put that scripture we read into practice. And I'm, gonna, I'm looking for a response, okay? And, and my writing is really terrible. I was embarrassed to do this, but I think it's helpful. So I'm just going to put myself out there, okay? <laughs> so I want you to just yell out, if you will, um, what comes to mind when I say the word true? God's love. What else? Honesty. Okay, anything else? The word, yeah. Okay, one more? Anything else? What? Life is a gift. Okay, and, and there, like for you, there could be things that just are in your life. It, like it, some of them are deeply spiritual, like the word, um, but... 
but true could be something you heard somebody say that you just know it was true, right? Like, like something as simple, like I'm 37 years old, that's true, <laughs> right? Like, there's like so whatever's true, okay? Um, honorable. What comes to mind with, with the word honorable? Sacrifice? Okay. Anything else? Sacrifice? Integrity? Okay. Anything else? What's that? A rare act. Yes. Good. A rare. Oh, that's horrible R. Okay. Anything else? <laughs> Kindness. Okay. Okay. What about with the word right? What comes to mind with the word right? Any words come to mind? What's right? What's that? Justice? Somebody say hope? What's that? Attitude, Attitude, yeah. Attitude. Actions. Okay. Mindset. Okay, and pure? Heart? A sanctified heart. Thoughts? Yell it out. Anything else? Babies? Yes. That is... Children? Okay. All right. Lovely? Nature? Passion? Miracles? Okay. Yes. Okay. What's admirable? Bravery. Okay. Unsolved. Yeah, that's about right. Okay. Excellent. What's excellent? Humility. Greater than. Anything else? Valor. One more for excellent. Well done. What's worthy of praise? All of the above. I like that. Was nice. I, let's end there. That's good. Okay, it's good. So as as a like this was easy. This took us three minutes as a congregation to yell out. What comes to mind with true, honorable, right, pure? And, and for you, I would encourage you to make it even personable. So uh, worthy of praise. Maybe there's someone's life that has had an impact on you that you've just like, they've lived a life that you've like, man, that's just worthy of praise, the way they've been sacrificial. Maybe there's a specific name that comes to mind. Or, or maybe when you, when you think of right, you think of somebody who did something right. It could be your child. It could be whatever, right? Somebody that did something that was right. And the scriptures say, this is how practical this is. And this is what I want to encourage us with as a congregation. Do you see how practical it is to meditate? This isn't for spiritual elites or people that have it all, you know, completely figured out. It's really simple. If you want to to experience the peace of God, think about that. Like, think about these things. One, One slide left. Can you just put that last slide, Megan? I think it, 
it's I, I covered it, and I real I probably should have pulled it out before. Uh, the next one with the drawing. Okay, this is. Where is okay? So Petra is Justin and Lauren's little girl. So they were talking about the email that I had sent out on Friday, and Petra wanted to uh, to show what love was, and so she drew a fairy being nice to a cheetah. You see that? Petra's three. She gets it, okay? When you think, but for her, love, and she wanted them, to, I think Lauren texted me and was like, Petra wants me to send you this picture, okay? It's a fairy being nice to a cheetah. I love it. I was like, and, it, and it's like her, it's what comes to mind for her when she thinks of lovely, right? And like, you could be three and get it. If a, if a fairy being nice to a cheetah makes you think of love, think on these things. Like Paul is saying, like, whatever comes to mind with true, honorable, admirable, excellent, like, Fill your mind with these things because we fill our minds all the time with, with negativity, with frustration, with contempt, with anger, with bitterness, with all these things that lead towards more anxiety or depression or, or a lack of peace. And what Paul is saying, and, and in Philippians, he's saying one final thing, fill your mind with these things. And so this week, I really want to encourage you to just take this, this list of eight words Write some things that come to mind and just think about it. Do the, the palms down, Lord, I'm releasing what is not of you. And palms up, I'm receiving what is from you. And it's going to think on these things. And so I'm going to invite the team to come up. We're going to close with a couple songs. And uh, I just, even if uh, you want to, as we're singing these songs, just to pray and say, Lord, help me to think on the things that are true and right and good and excellent and worthy of play, praise and all of the above. Um, let's just pray as we as we, uh, before we sing these last songs together. Let's just stand together if we're able. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for just the opportunity for us to engage with what is good. You, you say so clearly in Scripture uh, that we should fill our minds with what is true, that we should practice meditation as, as your followers. And Lord, all of us in this room um, can and, and we should, we should confess to you times when we've filled our minds with things that are not of you. And I pray that you would give us the ability to, to confess those things to you, but then to actually put into practice what you tell us to do in your word, to, to practice thinking on things that are true and good and honorable and excellent. And help us, Lord, I, I pray, to, to, to be able to do the things that you prompt us to do. Empower us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know we can't earn our salvation. We know, Jesus, that you've accomplished that on the cross and that uh, being saved and being reconciled with God is, is something that you've done all the work for. We just believe and accept it. But we also know, Lord, that there's things we can do uh, to express our relationship with you, to express love. And I pray that you'd help us to put meditation into practice as we follow you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to sing the uh, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I actually thought there was going to be communion today. Um, so this was for that. But we're still going to sing it. And um, I 